You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Thank you, ladies, for that. It may not be. It seems like that might be the first time that configuration of ladies has sung together and and I'm, I like when people get new people get involved like that and uh, sing, sing a good song. You did a great job. I appreciate the work on that. And even more importantly than that is the message of that song, Bow the Knee. I mean, he is worthy of us to, of us to bow before him. And I know that's not popular. We've been talking in a series on, in Sunday school, a series on worship. And God deserves the most biblical definition of the word worship. You know what it is? To bow. To bow in order to express the worth of another. And, uh, and I think we're missing maybe a little bit an element of that, even in our church services, the bowing before God that he deserves. Um, worship is not lightly mentioned in the Bible. It's mentioned over and over. Bowing is mentioned over and over. And I think a song like that could help us remind, remind us of the importance of that practice of bowing. I know it's not popular in America, um, but it should be popular before the Lord and that we, he deserves our bowing. Genesis chapter 6, we're going to be this morning. Genesis 6, if you would stand as we open the scripture out of respect of God's word. Genesis chapter 6. And uh, we've been going through a series on Sunday mornings on the book of Genesis. And uh, this, is, this is one of those stories that probably every, most everybody in this room is likely familiar with it or has heard about it. And a lot of stories you get to, and there are a lot of people that don't know much, uh, you know, maybe they haven't had much experience and they weren't raised in church. And some stories you maybe um, aren't familiar with. This is one of those almost universal type stories that most people know about, and that is Noah and, and the Great Flood. Uh, last week, we looked at the first eight verses of Genesis 6. We focused on God's response to wickedness and that God places a limit on wickedness and God judges wickedness. But God extends grace in the middle of wickedness. Aren't you thankful for that? That God extends grace to his people. That's, how he, that's what he does in wickedness. He looks, and seeks to, looks for and seeks those to whom he can extend grace in the middle of wickedness. And I'm grateful. In this story, the example of that person was a man named Noah. And as we continue in this account, then uh, we get a better idea about why Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, because you start to see what kind of man he was. He was a man of character, and he overcame some major difficulties to exercise some very serious faith. And his situation has some great application to our current culture. And I think we'll see that as we read. So let's read. We'll begin reading in verse 8. And that Noah is a fine example of many things. But today I want to focus on his ability to have faith when it's hard. Faith when it's hard. Look at verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. And uh, that word generations is the Toledoth. We've been talking about that. How the book of Genesis is broken up into different generations. And the idea here is that this is now we've moved on from the generations of Adam And now we're looking at the generations of Noah. Basically, this is what becomes of Noah and his seed. That's the idea. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, 
Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make it in the ark, make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. There's a lot of pictures here in the, in the ark that I'd love to get to. We just don't have time. But it says, And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. So three decks. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thou, thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee, and of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female. So eight people and then two of every species, male and female, of animals. Of fowls after their kind and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee of all the food that is eaten and thou shalt gather it to thee and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. I'm thankful for that last verse that Noah did according to all that God commanded him because it gives us hope that when things are hard, it's still possible to have faith. When things are overwhelming, it's possible to have faith because I've never been in a situation like this and yet here's a man who maintained his faith when it was hard and he has something to teach me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to stand and read it. I pray that you would give us open minds and open hearts. Clarify your word for us today. Holy Spirit, we're asking that you would help to make it clear that it would be very evident what it is that we need to change this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing for God's word. You can be seated. The story of Noah's Ark, as I already mentioned, the Noah's Ark and the Great Flood is one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. And most people have heard reference to it, whether or not, like I said, that they've been raised in church or not. And in fact, there are hundreds of stories and legends about a worldwide flood found throughout history in many cultures. And, and I was going to go through some of those, but it's not necessarily key uh, to us getting to the point of the text. But Dr. Dwayne Gish wrote a book called Dinosaurs by Design. Sounds like a kind of book my son would really like. Dinosaurs by Design, and he states in that that there are more than 270 such stories or legends, most of which are, uh, share common, a common theme and similar characters. And he's not just talking about in, in Western civilized world, he, he's talking about in cultures throughout history. These stories have been consistently told uh, the similarities between so many oral traditions that have been passed down through the generations should make it easier for us to believe, well, there really was a flood. 
Because they're still talking about it in different cultures. And, and, and God did send a flood to destroy the wickedness of man. Folks, this really happened. And sometimes we read the Bible, maybe we've heard stories and we think they're bedtime stories or campfire stories, but this really happened. God sent a flood to destroy the wickedness of man. And it's easy to say, well, I I love the story. It's such a neat story. But it's also easy to forget that somebody whose name is Noah had to live through this devastating event. Yes, it's a story to us. And yes, it's one of those things that gets us excited and, and we like to hear about Noah, but this was a catastrophic time in the life of Noah and his family. He had to follow God through some extremely difficult circumstances. And as, as romanticized as we might make it, this is real. It really happened. In Noah's day, when God looked upon the earth, he saw, and we talked about this last week, he saw almost exclusively, he saw immorality and he saw wickedness and he saw continually evil imaginations and continually evil thoughts in the hearts of men. And it grieved God so much that he repented that he even made men. Now, not repent as in he made a mistake and he had to make it right. No, repented as in it caused him much sorrow. It caused him much grief. We see there in verse 6, it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. Why did it grieve him? Well, he wants mankind to be right. He wants mankind to be moral. He wants mankind to seek him and follow him. But so few of them did that it brought him sorrow. And there was only one bright light in the midst of all the darkness and his name was Noah. And because even though the vast majority of the world was wicked, Noah was a shining light. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we talked about it last week. He didn't earn grace in the eyes of the Lord. None of us can earn God's grace. We can't do anything to make God show us favor. But he found grace in the eyes of God because of his character. Because of who he is. Because the kind of man that Noah was. And we see in verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man. And that word just, it basically, it means righteous. It's a, a legal term. It means lawfully righteous. So it, in our vernacular today, um, you might would say he, a man was found innocent. And that's the idea. It's a legal term. In Bible terms, it means that Noah was a saved child of God. That, that, that his life had been saved. He was righteous in the eyes of God. He had been declared righteous in the eyes of God. And by faith... Um, he was right with God. He was justified. And you say, well, how could he be saved? Because Jesus Christ hadn't even been, been born yet, much less died on the cross. But salvation, folks, it's always been by faith. I mean, in, in, in the Old Testament, it says in Genesis 15, 15 that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And he wasn't looking back at the cross. He was looking ahead to the promises that would be fulfilled on the cross but, but you might hear some people say, well, in the Old Testament, people were saved by works, but they were, we've always been saved by faith. There is no work that any of us could do to earn favor in God's eyes. We have to find God's favor. We don't earn God's favor. He was a just man and he was a perfect man. A perfect man, that means that he was complete or whole or entire. And he was everything that he was supposed to be in the Lord and for the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean he was sinless. Charles Spurgeon said, did Noah live a perfect life? No. Speaking popularly, and as the scripture often speaks, we may say that Noah's character was a righteous one, 
And there must have been flaws in it. And we see some of Noah's flaws come out later. But still, God regarded him as righteous. Some have said this means blameless. He was a just man and that he was right in the eyes of God. He was perfect and that the people around him had nothing to look at his life and say, oh, there we see an inconsistency. He was right before God and men. So he was of upright character. He had a great testimony. And you wonder how Noah, in the middle of all this wickedness, could live a life like that. How could such a person exist in such a godless, wicked society? When everybody else around him was buying into life without God, Noah was all in with God. So what made the difference? Well, I think you see in verse 9 a very key phrase that helps us to understand how. It says he was just and perfect in his generations and Noah walked with God. He walked with God. You know what that means? It means he had a relationship with God. And I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, we looked at a man in, in the chapter before it who walked with God. What was his name? Enoch. And Enoch walked with, walked with God to the point that one day God just decided to bring him home. And Enoch didn't have to die. He didn't have to experience death. God took him home. And I wonder, and that, you know who that was? That was Noah's great-grandpa. And I wonder if Noah, as a kid, grew up hearing stories about Enoch's faith and how Enoch walked with God. And I wonder if Noah, because he, he, like, he never met Enoch. Enoch went to heaven well before Noah was born. But I wonder if Noah thought, I want to walk with God like my great-grandpa did. I want to walk with God uh, and, and know God and fellowship with God. And that's where we really, I believe, see the key to Noah's ability to be the man he was in a wicked culture. So uh, just think about it. Take a step back. You have two things at play. You have a wicked culture on one hand, and you have an individual who's attempting to live for God on the other side. Does that sound familiar? See, just like our culture, Noah had a difficult challenge because the truth is he was supposed to live for God and nobody else wanted to. He had to represent God in a world that had absolutely no concern for spiritual things. And every influence, think about it, every influence outside of Noah's family, every single other influence in Noah's life was wicked. He had nobody to help him. He had no church to take the kids to Sunday school with. He had no friends that he could be around that that helped him or that wanted the same things as him. It was just Noah and his family. And, and yet God didn't say, okay, because you're the only one, I'll lighten it up for you. God didn't come to Noah and say, well, yes, you live in a tough culture and you're the only one. So Noah, I'm going to relax. I'm going to relax my expectations of you a little bit. And I'm not going to make you really do much for me because you're the only one. And I appreciate that you're the only one. Now, as a matter of fact, God ramped up his expectations for Noah, and he asked Noah to do more than probably anybody else has ever had to do, maybe even in history. And this is where we start to see Noah having to make a choice. He has to choose to follow God in the face of very difficult circumstances. He has to believe God's word and move forward, even though he has no idea what it looks like. He's never seen rain There was no rain on the earth in those days. Um, Some believe that there was a firmament or almost a hyperbaric chamber around the earth and it it allowed men to live much longer and allowed things to grow much bigger and they didn't have a need for rain. There was moisture on the earth. He's never seen rain. He's never seen an ark. He has to obey God when it doesn't make sense. And you might say that Noah had to exercise faith. 
faith in that he had to take God at his word and operate as if in the end God was going to make it all right even though he couldn't see how it even works out. As a matter of fact, over in Hebrews eleven seven, which we'll get to that point in a little bit, it calls Noah's actions. It says he lived by faith. By faith, Noah, it says. Noah had to live by faith in difficult circumstances. And, we, and again, we romanticize faith sometimes, don't we? We say, yeah, just have faith. Yeah, just believe God. I've said those things before. Those cliches, those, those Christian cliches. You tell somebody when they come to you and they say, I'm really struggling with this sin. Hey, just have faith. Just believe God. He can get you through this. Or somebody comes along and says, I have this major health crisis and this is happening in our lives and, and we're not really sure what to do next and I'm not really sure I can handle it and it doesn't look very good. Hey, brother, just have faith. Just believe God. It's easy for us to say that when we're not the ones in the middle of it. And you've been there, I'm sure, before. Just believe God, he'll take care of you. Noah and the flood, I love that story. Look how God took care of Noah. I mean, it, it was just, and it all worked out. But sometimes we forget that Noah was a real guy. I almost said he, Noah was a real dude. He was a real guy. He was really alive. And his family, they were really alive with him and following through this very difficult set of circumstances that nobody else has ever had to do anything like. And the reality is having faith is hard. And I know that it's not very encouraging today, but it's realistic that having faith and believing God and trusting his word and following through when there's difficulty, it's not easy. And that's what we can learn from Noah here, how to have faith when it's hard. Just think about the circumstances. They're hard. He, first, there's a hard culture. It was hard because it was immoral. And we could read it back in verse 2. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. They took them wives of all which they chose. Last week we talked about who the sons of God were, and we answered it absolutely crystal clear. And if you want to know my position, go back and listen to the message from last week because I was very dogmatic that I still don't know, okay? It was a hard culture. It was immoral. Culture had redefined marriage. Christ said in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Immorality was rampant. Sexual sin was everywhere. Does that sound familiar? Since the sexual revolution in our country in the 1960s, America has viewed morality as relative to every individual. I'm my own moral compass. You can't tell me what to do or what's allowed or what's right or wrong in my own private life. And yet God makes it absolutely clear from the beginning here. It's one man and it's one woman for life. And that's the only arena, that's the only setting in which sexual relationship in God's eyes is allowed. One man, one woman for life. I know that's a pretty dogmatic thing to say in this culture, but somebody's got to balance this moral relativism that everybody is, has latched on to. See, when you're trying to hold, around to, to hold on to a tight moral line, this is not an easy culture to do that in. I'm just going to be honest, it's not. You can, somebody can say, bless God, just have faith and just do what's right. You know, follow God. But everywhere you look, our immorality is celebrated. This culture is hard because 
of the, I mean, because of immorality, but look at verse 5. It says, and we saw this last week, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, continually. You know, the problems of mankind didn't just end on the outside, it was a heart issue. They were corrupt to the core. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ said in Matthew 15, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. It's not what you take in, it's what already is in. That defiles us. And again, not popular, I know, but we have deceitful hearts, desperately wicked hearts. That's our problem. Our problem's not on the outside, it's on the inside. And culture was also hard because of corruption and violence. And the seed of mankind, is trying, they're trying to corrupt it at the beginning of the verse, and then violence becomes the norm. They follow in the way of Cain, who killed his brother Abel. They're following in the way of Lamech in Genesis 4, who bragged about murder. The violence, folks, that we often overlook is no big deal, is a sure sign that our culture is corrupt. And it downplays the human life. There's violence in movies, violence in, on TV shows, and, and, and violence, parents, violence in video games. Violence, violent violence. And we overlook it as not a big deal, um, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says right here is God doesn't take light, violence lightly. A culture of violence is judgeable by God. And we've got to be careful to overlook it because it's not a big deal. Parents, I hope you're not downplaying the effect violence is having on our kiddos through the screen. Look at verse 12 and 13. It says, uh, verse 11, The earth also was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, Noah, uh, Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Do you get the idea that God doesn't take violence lightly? Amen, I do. It's pretty clear. Violence in the streets, violence on TV, violence in video games, it's everywhere and it's almost accepted like it's not a big deal, but it's no small thing to God. You know why? Because he values every human life. And we should too. So having faith is hard because the culture makes it hard. Pay attention, we'll, we'll apply it here in a moment. Having faith is hard because the culture makes it hard. And just like Noah, the culture couldn't care less what God wants. They're not interested in doing right. Faith is hard enough. I mean, is it hard enough just to believe God and believe his word and just do what you're supposed to every day? Absolutely. It's hard. Well, now you live in a culture that makes it harder, but you also then have another reason I think here that becomes obvious is that you have bad news. So faith is hard because of a hard culture, but faith is also hard because of bad news. Look at verse 3. The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be in 120 years. And look down in verse 13. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So here's the thing. So we think it's hard because the culture is hard. Well, Noah just now has gotten bad news. It's not just hard because of the culture. It's also hard because God comes to him and God says, okay, 120 years, that's all I'm giving. All I'm giving the earth, 120 years. 
At the end of 120 years, I will judge the earth. I cannot allow this violence and wickedness to go unchecked. I will destroy the earth. So God gives Noah instructions regarding the ark, and he does it before he tells Noah what he's even going to do. He says, I want you to make this big thing. Noah doesn't know what a boat is. He doesn't, I mean, he's just giving instructions and he starts telling him and he, he doesn't even tell him he's going to send a flood till down in verse 17. And I know God tells Noah in verse 18, he's going to spare his family, but that doesn't change the gravity of this news. Put yourself in Noah's position. What would you think if God came with this kind of news to you? If God came and said, okay, listen, um, Joe, if your name is Joe, congratulations. Okay. Listen, Joe. You have a, in 120 years, listen, everything's so violent, everything's so wicked, everything is, everything is bad, and you know this, you live in it, but Joe, listen, I'm coming to you, and I'm just going to give you a heads up. In 120 years, I'm going to destroy everything. So we romanticize Noah's story. But if you were on the receiving end of that news, what would your first thought be? 120 years? Uh, you're going to you're going to do what? You're going to destroy the earth? I mean, uh, you're going to this is serious. Uh, and so, you mean every person I know outside of my family is going to be dead? You mean uh, my home, everything I've built and and I don't know if Noah was a uh, if he worked or tilled the earth or whatever his, his uh, occupation was. He's, he, everything I've built, God, my, everything is going to be gone. Every person I know be outside my family, everything I know will be gone. You mean that village over there, that town over there, you mean it's all going to be gone, everything? And even if God comes and says, yeah, and I will spare your family, don't, don't tell me that you would be like, oh, okay, that's great, let's do this. On top of it, you know what Noel is also hearing? He's hearing that nobody else outside of his family was going to listen to him. Second Peter says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And we're not going to look at it, but just know it says he's a preacher of righteousness. You know what he did for 120 years? He preached righteousness. He tried to tell people about God. He tried to t- warn people about the judgment. But what God is telling him is, if it's just going to be you and your family, what he's telling Noah is, you're going to preach for 120 years. Nobody else is going to listen to you. So this is pretty bad news. I'm going to destroy the earth, and you're a preacher, but nobody's going to listen to your message. I'm just telling you right now, if I, that promise came to me as a preacher, I, I might would find a different occupation. I mean, I love preaching, but preaching to nobody would not be fun. Trust me, we did it for like two and a half months when we were recording services. I wouldn't want to do that again. But here's Noah knowing that nobody would listen to his message as a preacher of righteousness. Nobody would listen. And I know this is speculation, but here's some more bad news. You would have to think that if in Noah's mind he, know, no, he knows nobody's going to listen to him for the next de- few decades, you would have to think that the people that were around him ridiculed him for decades. He's building a vessel to float on water in a place that we've never seen rain. He's preaching judgment to people that are only have wicked thoughts and they couldn't care less about God. You would have to think for 120 years that he was mocked by the masses. You would have to think that his homestead where he was building this giant vessel that it became the kind of place that people would take their friends to when they came into town. You know, when people come into Sioux Falls, guess where I take them? 
We take them to Falls Park. That's what we do. Well, if I lived in Noah's day and Noah's down here building an ark, guess where I would take everybody that comes to see me? You guys got to come see this guy. You would not believe what he's building. This is like one of the seven wonders of the world. Let's go look and laugh. You know, in Noah's mind, yes, he wants to follow God, but this probably wasn't the way that he thought it was going to turn out. I have to wonder if his wife and kids asked him, are you sure? Are you sure you didn't just eat a, a bad pe- slice of pizza and you had a weird dream, Dad? This is bad news. Judgment is, here, listen, judgment is coming. The people think you're crazy. No one will hear your message. And you have 120 years to do something no one else has ever had, had to do before. And sometimes it feels like bad news is all we see too. Everywhere you look, bad news. Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, whatever your flavor is, um, I think they should all change their name to Bad News Channel 1, Bad News Channel 2, Bad News Channel 3, Bad News Channel 4, because that's all it is. It's all bad. Things don't look bright. The culture's changing, moving away from God at light speed. And as God's people, we're sitting here thinking this is not good. The bad news is not getting better. And based, listen, based on our knowledge of God's response to wickedness, we have to assume judgment can't be far away. It's hard to keep faith when there's so much bad news. And it's hard to keep faith when the culture is hard. And that's not all. Faith is also hard. So because of a hard culture... And because of bad news, and it's also hard because of difficult instructions. Think about what Noah was asked to do. Look at verse 15. 14, we'll start there. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. The breadth of it, 50 cubits. The height of it, 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. I think that means there was a window about a cubit tall all the way around the top of it before the roof. And the, and, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third story shalt thou make it. So let me give you a rundown. Noah, I want you to build an ark. People are going to think you're crazy. Judgment is coming. No one will listen to your message. And here's what I want you to build, okay? And if in my mind I'm thinking, okay, he's going to make me just build a sailboat. Well, no. I want you to build a, a vessel that's 450 feet long. So, uh, 450 feet long. It's a one and a half football fields. Uh, that's, that's a... That's a, a, a building laying on its side, 450 feet long, 45-story building. I want you, it's going to be laid on its side. It's going to be a long building. It's about the length of a football, a football field and a half, folks. 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. That's a four-story building. And it had three separate decks and floors. And I want you to put rooms in it, roughly the shape of a shoebox, about the size of, folks, the Titanic. Yeah, the Titanic. That's how big this boat was supposed to be. Listen, it, in fact, it wasn't until 1858 that anybody else built a boat bigger than this. 
And it has three decks. And those three decks give you about 100,000 square feet of, of floor space. And in the middle of it, there's about a million, uh, throughout the whole boat, there's about a million cubic feet of space. It's roughly the size of, I think, 860 railroad boxcars. And Noah, I want you to build that. Are you starting to understand why we might think these are difficult instructions? Imagine if God said, I know you're not really a builder, but you have 120 years to build a vessel as big as the Titanic with the tools you have and just your family members. Oh, and did I mention you need room for two of every animal, male and female, all the birds, all the cattle, all the creeping things. And we might take a step back and say, oh, well, but, you know, people have talked about that. They say there's plenty of room for the animals. Commentator David Guzik, he writes, if the ark carried two of every species of animals, there were around 35,000 pairs of animals. That's 70,000 animals. And it sounds impossible. You're like, I could never build a boat that could hold all of those. But listen, he also goes on to say the average size of, of a land animal is smaller than a sheep. The ark could carry over 136,000 sheep in half of its capacity, leaving plenty of room for people, food, water, and whatever other provisions were needed. Listen, there was room and there was plenty of it, but it doesn't change the fact that these, diff- these instructions are overwhelming, difficult. In Noah's mind, I have 120 years to build a boat and I've never seen it rain. It's how big? How many animals? And no one's going to listen, and everyone will think I'm crazy. Faith in God often includes difficult instructions. Difficult, like 1 Peter, be holy for I am holy. I don't know about you, but that, those instructions feel extremely difficult sometimes. Difficult like Matthew 6.15, but if you forgive not their their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. I don't know about you, but sometimes forgiveness seems like an ark to me. Ephesians 6, fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And sometimes it's hard. You're trying to build an ark and yet you have difficult instructions. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it in Ephesians. In the same passage, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. You talk about difficult. Submit to your husband like to the Lord. These are difficult instructions and, and we've never been asked to build an ark but sometimes controlling my anger feels like the Titanic. And I've never been given a 120-year project from the Lord, but there are plenty of difficult instructions in the Christian life. And you might even say some of them feel impossible. And without God's help, they are. And listen, herein lies the difficulty of faith. To continue, and I want you to really latch on here. Pay attention. To continue to obey God's word when you don't see an end. That's faith. To take God at his word and move forward even when it doesn't make sense. That's faith. And yet we're doing it in a hard culture with bad news and difficult instructions. It's all working against us. So what do we do? I mean, how do we continue to have faith when it's hard? Because two things are true. It will always be hard. And two, we're commanded to keep the faith. So what do we do? We'll turn over to Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. 
So how do we stay focused like Noah? Look what, what the Bible says about Noah and his faith. Hebrews 11, verse 7. It says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, let's start with the phrase being warned of God. By faith, Noah being warned of God. You know what it means? It means he focused on God's word instead of the culture around him. See, yes, yes, there's a hard culture. And yes, the culture doesn't care that you love God and it doesn't care that you want to follow God. It doesn't care that you want to live a Godward life. The culture doesn't care about that at all. But you have something bigger than the culture and that you have God's word and God's promises. And our problem, though, comes when we focus on the culture instead of God's kingdom. So we get wrapped up in, in what's going on around us, in the culture around us, and what's happening all around us. And there's immorality, and there's, there's, there's trouble, and there's ridicule, and people don't care about God's word. And then faith gets hard. And then if you choose to focus, though, on the kingdom, on God's word and God's plan instead of the culture, and you trust that God's word is right in the end, then that keeps your focus where it needs to be. And I'm afraid that too many Christians are so wrapped up in the culture and they're so wrapped up in the news and they're so wrapped up in the sports and the fashion and the activities and life that they've lost sight of the fact that we serve a kingdom, not a culture. We're not in this to, make, to just make money and to live life and to enjoy everything. No, we live here for God. The culture only makes it harder. So what Noah did was choose to focus on the culture, on the kingdom instead of the culture. Yeah, the culture was all around him, but he had a promise from God, and and that's what drove him. By faith, Noah being warned of God. So what about the bad news? Well, Hebrews 11 says Noah moved with fear. Look at it, 11.7. By faith, Noah being warned of God, of things not yet as seen, moved with fear. And you say, oh, well, that just means that the bad news really depressed Noah and it made him afraid. No, it doesn't. Not at all. You see, Noah's fear wasn't fear of judgment. He wasn't afraid that everything was going to go wrong. No, Noah's fear was the fear of God. Respect or reverence for God. And listen, instead of living in fear of all the bad things that were coming, Noah remembered that God's the one in control. You know what he did? He, he said, he, in his mind, he had to say, I'm going to be moved by fear of God. Because yes, the judgment is coming. I only have 120 years to finish the Titanic. All I have is these tools and my friends or my family. That's it. He said, and I could be afraid of judgment, but I'm not going to be afraid of judgment. I'm not going to let that drive me. I'm going to move, be moved by fear of God. Not in the sense of being afraid, but in the sense of respect for God reverence for God. You know what Noah chose to do? He, instead of focusing on all the bad and all the bad news going on around him, he chose to focus on the fact that there's one person in control of it all. And his name is God. And his throne has never sat empty. And he's the king. And yes, judgment is coming. And yes, life is hard. And yes, there's, the culture is bad. And all I seem to get is bad news all the time. But I also serve the one who's in control. 
See, too many people live in fear of what's coming. They lose sight of the one who has all power. Amen. So what do we do? How, I mean, what about the difficult instructions? So you've got, again, hard culture, bad news, difficult instructions. Well, the, look at the things the Bible... What about the things that the Bible asks of us that are hard, the difficult instructions? Well, look at the action verbs in Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. See, he was moved by fear and he prepared. When we're overwhelmed by what God has asked us to do in a tough culture with bad news, you know what we should do? What we know to do. Just take this step in front of you. See, Noah wasn't going to finish the ark in a day. But you know what he could do? He could, walk with, he could wake up and walk with God in a day. Noah wasn't going to finish the ark in a day, but he could wake up and he could make all the right decisions that he knew based on God's word in a day. You won't overcome, listen, you're not going to overcome your anger in a day. But you can depend on God's help the next time somebody cuts you off in traffic. See what I mean? Sometimes we overcomplicate it and we think, well, I've got to build the ark. I've got to build the ark. No, God isn't asking us just to go out and build the ark in a day. He's asking you to take the next step in front of you. If you're moved with fear, then you just start preparing and you just start doing everything you can today. You can't make your children grow up to love God uh, and serve him with all their hearts. You can't ensure that, but you can lovingly train them the next time they disobey. See, a lot of parents, though, they're all worried about what happens in the end. And God just says, no focus on what you can do the next time it, it pops up. So are you starting to see what faith is? It's not building the ark in a day. It's doing what we can in a day. And the next day. And the next day. And when it's all said and done, guess what? By the end of it, you're going to have an ark. Listen, life is hard. And the culture is bad. And it's just about all bad news. And the demands on a Christian in this culture are steep. And people are drowning in the hard all around us. And maybe you are too. And you're drowning in the difficulty of having faith in a world that's unfriendly to it. Here's why. Because you're focusing on what's hard for you instead of what's possible for God. See, all God has asked for you is to do what's next. All God asks is that we believe his word and do what we can today. And if we string enough of those together, someday we'll have an ark. You can't build an ark in a day. But you know, listen, you can't build an ark in a day. But you can walk with God on any given day. And you can't build an ark in a day. But you can focus on God's kingdom instead of this culture today. You can't build an ark in a day, but you can obey God's word one instruction at a time. So stop focusing on what seems impossible and focus on what God has made possible, and that is that you can take the next step. That last verse in Genesis 6 said, Thus did Noah according to all that God had commanded him, so did he. You know what that means? You know what that's called? That's faith. 
We overcomplicate faith so much. And we say, well, faith is believing and causing something big to happen. No, faith is knowing that in the end, God works it all out. And all I have to do is take this step that's in front of me. The daily choice to walk with God. The daily choice to put his, his kingdom first. The daily choice to do what you know to do and then wake up tomorrow. And guess what you do? You do the same thing tomorrow. This applies to raising children. It applies to working through your marriage. It applies to growing in Christ. It applies to being a witness at work. It applies to overcoming some major sin in your life. It applies to praying for your unsaved family members. It applies to being a testimony to your neighbors. Stop trying to build an ark in a day. You'll never do it. You'll drown. Instead, choose to spend a day walking with God and putting him first and obeying his word. That's faith. I just don't have much faith. Well, if you can do the things we just talked about, you can have faith. In moving and preparing, Noah condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness by faith, the Hebrew says. He was rewarded with what God wanted to give him because he believed God's word and spent his days doing what he knew to do. Friend, you can't build an ark in a day, but you can practice faith today. And that's all God asks of you. Faith is possible, arcs in a day or not. The Titanic in the next 24 hours, not possible. Being perfect and sinless, not possible. But you know what I can do? I can walk with God today. I can put his kingdom first. I can obey him in every step. I can, in the next choice, I can do that. It's not an ark. Sometimes we get ahead of ourselves, don't we? And we think, well, I just want to do it all. No, God, all God asks of you is to do the next. Remember a few years back, Aaron and I, we, we decided to run a half marathon and we were training. And when we started training, we got on this, um, on a, one of those um, plans where you start off small. And you start off running and then walking for a bit and then running and then walking for a bit. And then eventually the next week you add a little bit more and you start off with a couple of miles. And then you have off days where you're just doing other workouts. And then the next week you add a mile to the long run and then add another mile and add another mile. And at first, man, it, it seemed like this is no, there's no way we're going to do this. I mean, I, cannot, I, I, I can't imagine that we can get to the end of this and run 13.1 miles. I mean... Why run that when you can drive it way faster? That's my take. And you know, if at the beginning we had decided, you know, let's, I just want to get to the half marathon. That's all that matters. And just bypassed all the training in between. You know what we would have done? We would have quit. Because we weren't ready for it. But by doing it one step at a time, We eventually got to the point when it was time to do it, we were able to run the whole thing. That was an ark. That was the Titanic, trust me. But you know, running, every time you go running, you're doing that very thing. You're you're deciding, listen, yes, I've got to run five miles today. And I, I could just go try to do it all right away and get it all done as fast as I can. Or I can focus on the fact that I just have to take it one more step. And then take one more step. And then take one more step. And if I do that long enough, I'll get to the end. 
And I'll get to the five miles or the 13 miles or whatever it is. And listen, and I'll get to the ark. That's faith, folks. It's not the ark today. It's walking with God today. It's not the ark today. It's putting him first today. It's not the ark today. It's obeying what he's told me to do today. One step at a time. The next step in front of me. That's faith when it's hard. So maybe you've got some hard in your life right now. And it's overwhelming. And you just wish the whole thing could be figured out and fixed right away. It's like an ark that you have to build. And you're looking at it and you're thinking, God, just take care of all of it. Just do it all right now, please. But that's not the way he works. See, he always wants to take us through the process before the ark gets built. And you're not supposed to finish the ark today, but you are supposed to take the steps that are in front of you. And I don't know what those steps are, and I don't know what your ark is, but would you determine today to be patient and stop asking for all of it right now and saying, God, I, don't, I can't build the ark today, but I sure can open your word and read it. I can't build the ark today, but I can make the next right choice in front of me. I can't build the ark today, uh, but God, I can focus on your word and your kingdom instead of the culture around me. And eventually, God, I know that you're going to lead me to the ark. And I'll finally get to enjoy what I put all this time and effort into. But it's okay if I have to wait on it. Because whatever you have to teach me in the process... That's the result of faith. That's what you want from me. Folks, don't overcomplicate faith when it's hard. And don't get ahead of God. If you'll just take the steps in front of you, then he will show you what faith is. It's taking the steps in front of you and being content. that even if you just make a little bit of progress today, it's still, that's still only all, all that God wanted me to do. He's not expecting me to finish it all. He's just expecting me to do what I can today. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.